our world is in trouble. Society is full of noise, darkness, and distraction. Where do you go to find the hope and the strength to cope with such a mess? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Joyce Meyer once said, Being negative only makes a difficult journey more difficult. You may be given a cactus, but you don't have to sit on it. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we... Um, want to take your feedback and questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all of our social media channels. Make sure to continue your Bible study after today's episode with our comprehensive CQ Rewind show notes where we visually and contextually map out this episode's content, always on our website and our inside Insider Weekly Newsletter. Plus, make sure you check out our YouTube channel for new videos every week featuring the CQ Kids series, our Moments That Matter series, CQ Bible 101, and much, much more at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. So, Jonathan, what do we have going on for today? Well, Rick, our question is, should Christians criticize anyone? And our theme text is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So should Christians criticize anyone? That's a pretty big question. And folks, listen, criticism, we don't like it. For the vast majority of us, receiving it invokes feelings of angst, anger, and resentment. Being criticized usually ends in a sense of being defeated and often leads us to resentment and a desire to lash out at whoever has been critical to give them a taste of their own medicine. These are bad results no matter how we view them. Have you ever noticed how much more free-flowing being critical is than grace and kindness? So coming up in today's podcast, let's face it, nobody likes a critic, and yet we sure seem to like being critical. In our first segment, we're going to uncover two of the absolute most important factors in criticism. Understanding them gives us a great, great power in dealing with such things. Secondly, have you ever seen someone deliver really harsh criticism and seem to gloat in the process? The answer is probably yes on that. In segment two, we look at biblical example of how a seriously hard critique should be given. And in segment three, we look at another biblical example of how someone, other than Jesus, received a seriously hard and unjust attack. Now look, examples are great, but the really big question is, how do I learn to do what they did? Segment four shows us the distinct process necessary to steal our minds against such hard experiences. And finally, what should be going through your mind when you criticize someone? We wrap up with second, segment five and the elements that guide us to successful and positive criticism. So, Jonathan, it is packed for today. It is, Rick. And with all of this being said, it may come across as somewhat shocking how important criticism is in Christianity. It turns out that we all need to be shown our faults, weaknesses, and inconsistencies 
In order to be better followers of Jesus, the key is why the critical observations are made and how they are delivered. Once we understand these two things, we can then be open to the masterful art of positive criticism. The masterful art of positive criticism. So that's really what we're going to be focusing on today. And, and Jonathan, today we kind of have a, a special situation. Jacob Bilek, uh, our CQ executive producer and consultant, is actually sitting here in my podcast room with me for tonight's podcast. Jacob, how are you? Doing great. Rick and Jonathan, pleasure to be here. And just, just a little bit of quick background from you. Who are you? What are you doing here in my house? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the founder of Orange Hill Media, and I uh, started the company back in 2010. And actually met uh, you and Jonathan around that time. You guys were one of our first uh, 10 clients in the first couple of years of the company. And since then, even continuing through this year, I provide you guys monthly critiques on the program and production help and general branding consultation. And, uh, you know, folks, it's no accident that we chose the subject of criticism when we've got our chief criticizer on the <laughs> here with us, uh, staying with us for a few days. So, Jacob, it's really great to have you here with us. Oh, man, it's been a fun weekend. Thanks so much for having me. And um, Jacob is going to be sitting in. He'll be commenting here and there from time to time throughout the podcast. And again, he um, the whole idea of criticism, what our object is, is to put that in a different light. So, Jonathan, let's get started. First of all, let's just get some quick definitions in place. Merriam-Webster's online dictionary, definitions for criticism or to, for criticize, what are they? To consider the merits and demerits of and judge accordingly, evaluate, and, and to find fault with and point out the faults of. Okay, so one of them sounds that sounds more positive. To consider the merits or and the demerits of something, evaluate. The other is to find fault with, to, to point out the faults of. So we've got this balance that we have to look at. So for the purposes of this particular podcast, we're going to focus on appropriate criticism, and I said appropriate criticism, just between adults. We're not going to get into dealing with children because there are different things we have to address when dealing with children. But if you're an adult and you want to understand, better understand criticism, this is something that we need to, to, to know about in terms of giving it appropriately and receiving it appropriately. So why, let's get started with simply, why do we need to be criticized or evaluated? I mean, what's, what's the reason? Well, how about this, Rick? We're all sinful, and in that state, we're trying to rise to a higher level uh, of a spiritual maturity and, and get over our weaknesses. So we need to have things pointed out, and that's our premise for criticism. Let's look at Psalm nineteen, twelve to 14. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Okay, so with this particular verse, um, there's several, several points here. There, there's, there's four really important points just to kind of set a groundwork. What are they? Well, the first point is, Rick, see what we are blind to see. Okay. 
who can discern his errors? That's what verse 12 starts with. Who can figure out what's wrong with him? We really can't. We need some, some outside influence. What's next? Embrace our circumstance as a starting point. Okay, so yes. What you've got to do is, you know, it says, uh, keep me back from presumptuous sins. In other words, I know that I'm liable to not good things. Help me, God. Re- realize that we are in a vulnerable position and we need that help. Well, Rick, the next point is recognize the path to growth. Okay, what's the path? And again, in Psalm uh, 19, it says, you know, then I'll be blameless. When? When I am held back. So there is a pathway to get from where we are to where we need to go. And then finally, what's the last point? Walk upon the path higher, godly principles. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. There's a higher pathway. And dealing with and using and, and, and receiving criticism has to be in that context. So here's the thing, Jonathan. There are two enormous questions relating to criticism that we want to get started with that are, are, are a foundation for this entire discussion and for understanding criticism. What are those two questions? Why is the criticism being made, and how is it delivered? Why is it being made? How is it delivered? Let's look at an example. The why. Why is criticism being made? We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is criticizing adult Christians for being childish when they should be far beyond such behavior. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 1 through 6, we're going to break it into two pieces. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. So Paul is basically saying to them, you guys haven't grown up the way you should, so I'm telling you, you need to start growing up now. That's pretty harsh. To talk to a bunch that, of adults. That, that is. That, that is. But it's like a wake-up call. <laughs> right. And, you know, so you say, you know, well, why is he telling them? He say, because you should be mature and you're not. And I'm doing this to stimulate you to move forward, to move up, because you are behind where you should be. I know you, and I know that you have the ability to be better than you are. So... That's the criticism. And so the next part is, well, how? Paul, how? You know, the, 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 the delivery of the criticism. Paul delivers the criticism with logic and facts and builds upon scripturally sound reasoning. And this ends up being really, really important. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So, Jonathan, he's talking about their situation, and he's talking about their, their view of himself and their view of Apollos. Well, what's, what, what's happening with those things? Well, Rick, my first observation is they're idolizing these men, instead of benefiting from their serving God. And see, that's enormous. When you idolize someone, you automatically begin to lose the benefit 
that they can d- deliver to you because your mind has gone in the wrong direction. So the Apostle Paul is appropriately criticizing them for idolizing him and Apollos. And he's basically saying, we're just men. We're servants of God. I plant Apollos waters and he and I work together. So stop already. So the why and the how are really, really important bases for our criticism. Each segment, we're going to end with a principle of positive criticism. What is that principle for this segment? Appropriate criticism is always based on facts and is always for the purpose of helping the criticized individually grow. Always, always have criticism be based on facts and always have it for the purpose of the growth of the person that is being criticized. Criticized. So, Christians should only criticize to be helpful? Now that's a whole different take on a very popular activity. If criticism is always for the benefit of someone, is it ever appropriate to be harsh in its delivery? We're podcasting live every Monday night from 8 to 9.30. You can talk to us direct through our chat at ChristianQuestions.com. We also welcome your comments or questions any day of the week. Just hit the Contact Us button. We're now out of the starting gate. Let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. So this is tricky. Harshness in an evaluation of another can be life-saving, but the occasion for that actually is rare. It's far too easy to think that we ought to press hard upon someone for their own good. Emotion often takes over, and at these times, when we end, we end up hurting them and end up feeding our own pride. And that really ends up being a very dangerous thing in terms of managing criticism. Hey, so, Rick, did yeah. I hear you say criticism is a popular activity? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, it is, You know, because we just assume the authority and the right to be critical of others without asking all of the questions and without having the right motivation. So yes, it's a popular activity. We text, <laughs> we, we post on Instagram, and we criticize. Um, Think about it, folks. Look at your life, look at your social media life, and see how much that happens. I'll bet you'll be surprised, and I hope you'll be disappointed if you see that in, in your, your, your experiences. So, Jonathan, let's get to somebody um, besides Jacob, who is a really good criticizer, okay, in a very strong way. Now, folks, you may not like this guy. His name is Bill Belichick. He is the head coach of the New England Patriots. They have created a football dynasty, and this is a short soundbite on him talking about the importance of constructive criticism. I don't know how you can improve unless you can accept constructive criticism. I don't know how you can get any better. It's about the eighth time we run that play. We got to get that one. It's eye near. Come on, it's eye near. Think about it. That's where the double team's coming. That's what a football team has to do. It has to accept constructive criticism, recognize what it didn't do well or where its weaknesses are, and then improve on them to get better. Get your pads down now and punch it through there. Are you with me? I don't want to see that guy come up there and light you up and throw you on your back. All right? Get your pads down and punch it through. Look, I can't put you in a game if you don't know consistently what to do. All right? You can't do it. I mean, we're going to sit in here and tell them what they did wrong. We're going to sit in here and tell them, you know, what we think was is not sufficient. If that's going to take the player to say, oh, well, he's picking on me and just shut it down and, and build up a wall and not accept any coaching, how's he going to get any better? I mean, it, it won't happen. 
and Belichick would trade that player. <laughs> you he know, would. so so, but you know, he here. This guy is a champion. Now, you know, people can say whatever they want about him, but he he has coached his way into what will be the Hall of Fame because of this insistence on such high levels of execution, and he gets there because of constructive criticism, and he's hard with it. Because he's coaching professionals who should be able to accept the harshness. I think it's just kind of an interesting example. So now let's get back to Scripture. Appropriate harsh criticism. Let's look at a scriptural example. King David being called out by God's prophet Nathan. And Rick, it's really important to remember the think why and how. Okay, why is the criticism being given and then how is it being delivered? And folks, for for us... If we are going to be criticizing, those are the two first questions we have to ask ourselves. Why am I doing this, and how is it going to be delivered? So here's the, here's the story. David sinned deeply against God. He lusted, he fornicated, he got another man's wife pregnant, he tried to hide his sin, and then he had the husband of that woman abandoned on the battlefield so he could die. I mean, come on. This is King David, a man after God's own heart. These are sins that are gross and immoral and disgusting. So enter the prophet Nathan. So there is actually there are five steps we want to go through with about harsh criticism being appropriately delivered. And we're going to follow Nathan's example in this. What is the first step? Open the eyes of the one in need of correction. You've got to get their attention first. So what does Nathan do? He doesn't just go in there and say, King David, you're, you, you have... You, you, have, you have sinned grossly against God and against everybody else, and you really are a disgusting creature. That's not going to get no. somebody's attention. What he does is he tells David a story, and he places its context within David's kingdom. And he places it, and he's basically saying to the king, there's a judgment that needs to be made here, O king. And so he tells this story and telling the king, I need your judgment on this. David hears the story, and with great and righteous emotion... And indignation proclaims judgment upon the heartless and greedy man in the story. And David demands that Nathan go seek fourfold restitution for what this man did. And so that begins, that's the first place. What did Nathan do? He opened his eyes. He got his attention. He got him thinking in terms of something was wrong, something was done that was wrong, and needs to be addressed. So... He opened his eyes. What's the second step? Reveal the fault. So now that you've opened the eyes of the person, here's what Nathan does in 2 Samuel 12, verse 7. Nathan then said to David, you are the man. So it comes out very plainly, very specifically. He doesn't say, well, King David, did you ever consider that something like this might have something to do with some of the things that you might have done in the past? And, you know, I, <laughs> no, I, don't want, I, I don't want to offend you or anything, but, you know, maybe you should be thinking. He tells he him. got to the point, Rick. <laughs> exactly. Fast. <laughs> you are the man. What's the third step? Selflessly frame the fault so that the one needing correction sees their life clearly in context. Jonathan, there's one really important word in that third step. That's selflessly. Selflessly frame the fault. And we're going to be focusing on that because that's what Nathan does. And we learn how to do things correctly by watching 
those examples that are scriptural to, to give us guidance. So we're in Second Samuel chapter 12, again, verses 7 and 8 at this point. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. So Nathan doesn't say he's not delivering his own message. What does he say? This is God's perspective, not coming from Nathan himself. Right, right. He says, thus says the Lord of Israel. I've given you all of these things. And so he proclaimed that David was the sinful man. This is harsh criticism. And then he says, and this is what God said. I have given you all of this goodness. And if you wanted more, I would have given you more. So he revealed the fault after he got his attention. And then he framed it in a way that David could see his life in its context. He could see the blessings of God. So that was the first three steps. What's the fourth one? Selflessly and plainly state the sin. So selflessly again, selflessly state the sin. Verse 9 of Second Samuel 12. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword, had taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. So, Nathan is telling David exactly what he did, and but he's saying that, again, he's not saying, you know, you offended me. He's saying you have despised the word of God by your actions after God has so richly blessed you. So he is telling Nathan exactly what he did, not pulling any punches, but he's doing it from the standpoint of God. So it's not Nathan's criticism. It is the criticism of God coming through Nathan to David. And I think that's a huge, huge example for us when we deliver criticism. It should never be ours. It should be godly principles coming through us to whomever, and we'll, and we'll develop that further as we go. So, so far we have uh, open the eyes of the person, reveal the thought, self- selflessly frame the fault so that the person can see it in the context of their life, selflessly, uh, uh, plainly state the sin. What's the fifth step? Selflessly and scripturally proclaim that there are consequences. And again, the word selflessly appears. And Jonathan, I think that Nathan is such an incredible example here because he's showing us very, very plainly that when there is harsh criticism, it should not be personal. It should be godly. Verses 10 through 12 12 of 2 Samuel 12. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. So there is real hard experience coming David's way. And Nathan frames it very honestly, very plainly, but he says in verse 11, 
Thus says the Lord. So Nathan isn't saying, David, I'm telling you. He's saying, God is telling you, I am his mouthpiece. God is telling you, these are the consequences for your sins. So this is incredibly harsh criticism that is necessary. It is, and you know the thing about it, it's life-saving criticism. It's necessary, it's hard, it's clear, and it's godly. Harshness appropriately applied can actually work. Folks, most of us are not appropriate with harshness. This was. Here's the reaction of David, 2 Samuel 12, 13 to 15. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. So Nathan went to his house. Then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David, so that he was very sick. These are hard consequences. And David says plainly, I have sinned against the Lord. And, you know, David doesn't mince words with, well, you know, maybe what I did wasn't the best, or I was caught up in the passion of the moment, or I didn't know what else to do after the deed was done. He doesn't do any of that. He didn't justify himself like King Saul. Remember yes. that example, yeah. how he tried to say it was the people, it wasn't me, I did what I was supposed to do. He, he just admitted it. Right. right there and then. Yeah, and you know, the King Saul is, is another great example of appropriate criticism from Samuel. And we've actually got that part of our Seek Through Rewind show notes uh, in the bonus material because there were several examples of criticism in Scripture that were really good, but we couldn't use because we didn't have enough time. So Seek Through Rewind, the show notes available at ChristianQuestion.com to just find more on that. So, so you're right. He, he doesn't justify. He just simply says, I have sinned against God. And, and he's willing to accept the, the consequences. And this is hard. But the criticism worked. It saved him. And that's the important thing. You know, it, it's interesting that in the principle of criticism is something that we need to understand and embrace because criticism properly applied is a wonderful thing. A wonderful thing. Jesus, quoting Isaiah in Matthew 12, 20, gives a sense of when people are in a, in a difficult circumstance, the, the, the compassion that God has upon them. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out, until he leads justice to victory. Sometimes our actions bring us to a broken state of life. And we may need that constructive criticism to help bring us out of it. But the promise is that in, a godly, in godliness, it's not going to break you. If there's just a little bit of life left in you, it's not going to put it out. It's going to gently bring it back. That's the way our criticism should work with others. Nathan is an incredible example of a hard job delivered in a godly fashion. So what's our principle of positive criticism uh, for this particular story. Harsh criticism has its place, but should be rare. Its objective is always to lift another out of the mire, and its delivery should be selfless. So, first of all, 
harsh criticism does have a place, but I submit to you that it is not common, nor sh- – well, it is common, unfortunately, but it shouldn't be common. And its objective should always be to rescue, to lift up, to encourage, to build up. If we are cr- criticizing harshly to squash someone, uh, then you know what? You can't be calling yourself a Christian for that. Or if we're doing it, Rick, to build our own ego, yeah. we are in trouble. And, and Jonathan, I'm glad you, you mentioned that because ego is one of the biggest issues to deal with so we can get to appropriate criticism. It has to be egoless, thus the selfless focus of Nathan's delivery. So you, you know what? This, this really makes you think about the people you may not like. If you're going to go after them, you'd better be careful. What if we receive harsh, unjust, and public criticism? Is it ever appropriate to be critical in return? We're constantly looking to our listeners for your feedback on our weekly episode discussions. Let us know if you'd like to hear more topics like this one or new topical suggestions. Keep your comments coming at ChristianQuestions.com and our Facebook page. We're also talking about topics in Reddit, and you should check us out helping answer questions on Quora. That's Q-U-O-R-A.com. We're engaging in combo everywhere. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. Again, we get into a difficult and gray area of life. Let's here remember the principles of appropriate criticism. It's always for the purpose of lifting someone up and should always be delivered selflessly. This becomes an even greater challenge if we're confronted in a public and emotional environment. So, Jonathan, this next segment is really going to be focusing on what do you do? when you're criticized in a public way, in an emotional way, and in an unjust way. And unfortunately, that happens way too often as we look around life today. That's hard. How do you control your emotions in that? Oh, that's tough. Yeah, so so we're, we're going to spend some time on that. Let's quickly, though, before we get started with that, go to Pastor Greg Laurie. He's got some really, really focused comments on constructive versus destructive criticism. And really, that's what we're focusing on, how to be constructive in criticism, but what to do with destructive criticism. They complain. The people that are being hurt complain. And by the way, there's a place for complaining. There's a place for criticism. Sometimes you might see something that isn't right, and you think it should change. So you need to bring that to the attention of those who are in leadership. There's a difference between constructive criticism and destructive criticism. Constructive criticism sees a problem and wants to help. Destructive criticism sees a problem, amplifies it, and wants to hurt. One wants to help you and build you up. The other wants to destroy you and tear you down. So if you have an issue with someone, don't talk about them. Talk to them. That last line is so powerful. If you have an issue with someone, don't talk about them. Talk to them. Because that is the best way to build someone up. And when you talk to them, it should be with a question rather than a criticism. Because we've got to figure all of that out. And again, we're going to develop that further a little bit later in the podcast. So stay with us for that. Jonathan, let's go to one of those examples of destructive public 
criticism. This is the example of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And that is, is uh, it's a really good uh, story to go to to understand how to manage such a difficult thing. And we need to have that focus again, Rick, of think why and think how. Why is the criticism being made and how is it delivered? And in, in the last segment, we saw the why of the criticism was from Nathan because God told him to deliver it. And we saw the how was to get David to repent, and it worked. The why and the how here are completely different. So here's the situation. You know, public places and debates are breeding grounds for unjust, jealous, and emotional responses. And too often we get into the shouting matches that you see on, on TV and on the news all the time. And, 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 and this, is, this is nothing new, though. This had happened long ago. The situation with Stephen is he is a Christian and he's being outspoken about what Christianity stands for and what, what principles others should be looking up up to as a result. So let's go to Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 14. We'll take it in a couple of pieces. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from the synagogue rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So you have a real problem developed there. Okay? They're having this debate you know, and in those days, public debates were very, very common, you know, and you do it generally in the context of the synagogue and all of that. But the scripture says they were not able to cope with the wisdom and spirit with which he was speaking. And Rick, that, that reminds me, they feel threatened yeah. from Stephen. They, they want to lash out because they don't know how to handle his reasoning. So, you know, and that's such a such an important observation, because sometimes if we feel like we're bested in a public environment, you know, what we resort to is insults or changing the subject, getting personal instead of saying on, on, on subject because we're intimidated. And that's what was happening here. They were intimidated because he was eloquently explaining the word of God in a way they they could not respond to it. So the dishonest criticism that they began to offer back would feed a mob mentality because now it becomes emotional. And, and look, there's nothing like emotion to rile up a bunch of people. Do you ever notice how logic, pure, simple, straightforward logic doesn't rile people up? Good point. <laughs> it doesn't. Emotion does. And especially negative emotion. So here's what happens. Acts chapter 6 now. This is verses 11 through 14. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. Okay, so so they can't win the argument. But instead of saying, wow, this guy really knows his stuff and maybe it's worth considering. Hey, there's a really amazing idea. Somebody is having this discussion with you and you're, and you're not agreeing and, and, and their logic is sound. How about, and just a thought... How about we say, wow, 
Maybe there's something to it. Maybe I should listen. Ooh, that's dangerous. They didn't want to do that. So they secretly induce individuals to lie, to to tell half-truths. And you know, it's interesting that they say um, some of the half-truths they're saying are, are the same things that they said about Jesus. Yes, you're right. And it was take, uh, a statement completely taken out of context. But they go back to the thing. Hey, this worked on 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 his uh, his his uh, his master there. We got him killed. So why not try it here? So they just want to squash him. They don't want to listen. They don't want to converse. The criticism is harsh. It's wrong. It's 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 untrue, and it doesn't belong. So Stephen is criticized unjustly. So he responds to the public accusations against himself. And Christ, and so these accusations are against himself and against Christianity. The first thing he does in responding, now look, you have been falsely accused in front of all kinds of people. Here's the first thing he does. Acts chapter 7, uh, verse 1 and 2. The high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers. So how does he respond, Jonathan? Rick, he responds with Rick's respect to the, the leaders of, of the, the Jewish faith. And, and so he says, hear me, brethren and fathers. So he's saying, I want to talk to you. After they're, 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 they're hurling accusations at him, his response is, hear me, brethren. Wow, hear, hear that's me. awesome. It is. And what a great lesson for us. If and when we are ever in that situation, to resp- 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 uh, respond with respect, with honor, with patience, with quietness, with compassion. So next, Stephen begins to tell the story of their common history. So what he does here is he finds common ground with them, and he builds. Even with those who were against him, he found common ground, and he built upon it. This is verses, the end of verse 2 through verse 4 of Acts 7. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had moved to this country in which you are living now. So he's not telling them anything they don't know. He's telling them something that not only do they know, but they all believe in, and they all appreciate, and they all talk about, because it's their heritage. And I wonder how many people were nodding their heads. Well, yes, that's right. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, exactly. So he, essentially, he does kind of what Nathan did. He got their attention. He got them to listen a little bit. Now, in this case, I'll tell you, it's going to backfire, but because they're not righteous. But he drew them in by painting this historical picture. So Stephen recounts a detailed history that everyone can agree with and they can all appreciate. He's not avoiding the lies and the criticism. But instead what he's doing is he's building up to his response, which will be entirely based in scriptural truth. So he's starting with scriptural truth. And he's starting with scriptural truth that they can all grab hold of. And like you said, not in agreement, but he's going down a road that's really, really important. So he does this for many, many, many verses in Acts chapter 7. Okay, so we just read verse 4. 
And he goes on and on and on. We're going to drop in now on, on, on verse 47. So 43 verses later, remember the lie was told about the temple. Stephen, after 43 more verses of building the common ground and putting things together, Stephen now addresses that lie in its proper scriptural context. So now we're up to Acts chapter 7, verses 47 to 53. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all these things? So he's talking to them, and he finally gets the, to the scriptures and the, the development and the building of the, te- the temple. And he says, but you know, God doesn't actually dwell in the temple because God said in the scriptures that heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool. What kind of house could you build for me? He's like, you can't house me. And what place is there for my repose? Didn't I make all of these things? And you're saying that these are going to be my house? So he's quoting scriptures to show them the greatness of their creator. And these are scriptures that are actually going to answer the question. So now he answers the question, not with his own words, but kind of like Nathan, with scripture, with the word of God. And now he's going to tell them that they had betrayed their own Messiah. So he gave them a scriptural, legitimate answer to their issue. And now he tells them something that's really wrong with them because their reasoning is is null and void because all they are is like you were saying before they're emotional they they're they're re- reactionary they're, they want to get him so verses 51 to 54 53 i'm sorry you men are stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears are always resisting the holy spirit you are doing just as your fathers did which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. So talk about hard criticism. Whoa. (laughs) Right to the point. Yes, yes, he is right to the point. You men who are stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart, in uh, ears and always resisting God's power and influence, you're doing just like your fathers did. Remember, they killed the prophets, and that's what you did. You killed the Messiah. So he takes their criticism, he answers it scripturally, and says the temple is simply a symbol. It's not where God actually lives. And then he says, by the way, what you're doing and how you're doing it is all wrong in accordance with being godly. You're presenting yourselves as godly, but you're not. That's a hard criticism. And what was what was the what was the end result for Stephen? Well, Rick, Stephen was put to death uh, for saying these words. Yet he was faithful and victorious in witnessing to God's truth. So his victory, and this sounds hard, his victory came in death. Yes, there was no backing away. He didn't want to back away. He was standing for something that was sound and sacred and scriptural and true. And he made them mad and he didn't care because he was responding to their anger and the lies that they planted 
with solid scriptural truth. What an amazing example, Rick. You know, we hear, what would Jesus do? You know that phrase? Yes. What did Stephen do? Dare to be a Stephen, right? (laughs) Right, because he faced severe, unjust, public criticism. And we saw how he worked his way into the response, gave them an opportunity to follow along, to see the reasoning, to watch it build. And they chose to ignore it all and kill him. So what did Stephen do in the face of hard, hard, public, unjust criticism? So what's the principles of positive criticism for this segment? Response to unjust public criticism may remain selflessly grounded in scriptural truth, even if the conclusion reveals sin and costs you dearly. You know, and the interesting thing is, that, and we didn't mention it through the segment, and I apologize for this, but Stephen was selfless in his response. It was about speaking the word of God in a way that would be godly, and he didn't care about the consequence. So responding to unjust public criticism should always be selfless, grounded in scriptural truth, even if it's going to be costly. That's how we are taught to deal with such things. This really makes you think about how easy it is to get caught up in life's emotional drama. Be careful. What do we do to get our minds set to be able to maturely handle harsh and unloving criticism? Learning about your hosts is always a good thing. Rick and Jonathan both love studying the Bible and sharing their thoughts with you every week. Did you know they've been doing this program for over 20 years? It started as a radio show in 1998. We moved to an exclusive podcast in 2016 and have enjoyed talking to all our listeners all over the world. Plus, these guys are best friends and longtime students of the Bible. That's part of why our Christian Questions team of volunteers and listeners feel like it's a big family. Talk to us anytime and hear over a thousand archive programs at ChristianQuestions.com. Now, let's get back at it. What's next, Rick? There's a lot of work required here because we're not naturally wired to have hurtful things just bounce off of us. The good news is there are very significant steps that we can take to scripturally shield ourselves from such heartless attacks. As usual, to get this work, uh, to, to get to this work requires effort and discipline. So, Jonathan, no surprise, what we're going to talk about this segment is hard but it's important to build upon. So the question we want to focus on now is how do we frame our minds to be able to handle harsh and unloving criticism? And again, Rick, let's keep our focus on think why and how. Why is the criticism being made? How is it delivered? Okay, why and how? And again, we're going to be talking about being criticized. And these are a couple of questions that we want to observe when we are being criticized. Why is it being done? Why do we think? And how is it being delivered? You know, there's a great quote from Viktor Frankl. Uh, He wrote Man's Search for Meaning. He was an Auschwitz survivor. Jonathan, what's the quote? Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Actually, I, I, just a quick side story. Uh, four years ago, my sister Joy sent me this quote. And she said, Rick, what do you think of this? 
and I looked at this quote, and it literally changed much of my own life because it helped me to understand that most of us react when we should just pause so we can respond. And that is what Viktor Frankl is saying. In this space between the stimulus, between the reaction and our response is our destiny. And this especially applies when we're dealing with criticism that may come to us that is not kind and just. And and look, it can come in all kinds of ways. It can come from an angry spouse. It can come from coworkers. It can come from neighbors or family members. You know, so there's all kinds of places that this can come to us. And it generally just doesn't roll off our back. So, Jonathan, I wanted to pause here just for a few minutes. Uh, Jacob uh, is with us uh, again. He's been working with us at Christian Questions for uh, over 10 years now. And uh, his job at the, at the outset was to criticize us. And, and he asked us, you know, you know if, if that is something that he could do. So, Jacob, you know, let's get you involved in this conversation in terms of you're a professional criticizer. Affirmative. <laughs> <laughs> and so you obviously have given that a lot of thought and... and, and and you, what? So, what's your approach? How do you go about criticizing so you achieve the, the 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 response that you're looking for? Yeah. So, our company, Orange Hill Media, we do some video production and TV production, but our bread and butter is assisting in podcast and radio shows production. So, when myself or our team first starts an evaluation period, I'm typically t- taking the lead and listening to the radio show or podcast, providing many times up to five pages of feedback at a minimum. Yeah, and you know, we get those five pages and you got to read all of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't hold back. Yeah, yeah and it, he doesn't hold back. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I think uh, I'm, I'm basically taking the approach of what the audience it will like, will not like, and what we've seen audiences respond to positively over our around 20 years of experience. So I'm not here to kiss rear. <laughs> That's for sure. You know, kind of one of the go-to <laughs> phrases there. But I'm straightforward with what's not good, what might be ugly, but at the same time, I'm making a proactive and productive suggestion. It's not all teardown. So in tandem with any negative feedback points, I'm always giving a productive next step suggestion. Okay. And, and Jonathan, we have experienced that, haven't we? Yes, we have. And it's not fun. But, <laughs> but we can learn and grow from it to do better so that we can have a better impact and really get across what we want. Right, Rick? Yes, yes. So, so Jacob, you know, what if you, you give that, you know, you, you're, you're careful and you do provide alternative suggestions and solutions. What if you get the sense that the the criticism was taken personally and it wasn't meant that way? How how do you respond to something like that? You know, a lot of times uh, I'll I'll do a face-to-face meeting or a phone call because sometimes my feedback points, you know, they're emailed or it's a collaboration document, and I do a one-on-one conversation. A lot of times, even if a lot of the feedback is positive, I've had 90% positive feedback, 10% really negative, and someone only focuses on the negative. And I say, did you read or listen to what I said nine out of 10 times? You're doing it right. And a lot of times people can't get past that negative. Usually it's a personal interaction, and I just have to keep building them up with all the positives that I do see now 
and that what we're working toward in the future. So, and that's a really, really important response. So, what what you're saying is you're going to follow up if you think that it was not received appropriately because your job, your objective is build them up, make them better, not make them feel bad. Yeah, I'm not a hardline coach here. Right. You know, I, I'm not going to grab you and shake you and keep telling you you're horrible. Uh, usually the positives are starting to come. Now someone, you know, can't get past it, or uh, a lot of times I have a verbal terms and conditions where if if I have an initial meeting or we have a couple consultations before there's a broader engagement and I feel either they're not up to the test or maybe they don't want to follow through themselves, you know, this isn't about me trying to stop from what they're stop them from what they want to do, but if I feel they just you know, don't want to do it themselves, then uh, we disband. But that's very rare. Usually, yeah, very rare. So, and obviously that hasn't happened with us. You've been with us for 10 years. <laughs> no, you guys, you guys, and I'm not just saying this, uh, you guys have, have been a shining light for how it's supposed to go. Well, and you know what? Be Part of it is you want to, like Jonathan, you said, we want to get better. And, you know, there was a time where you brought in a third party criticizer for us and he tore us to shreds. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, I remember. <laughs> you know, and, and but, but Jacob, what you did is you prefaced it. You knew what was coming. You said, I want you guys in the same room when we talk about this. And you helped us to accept it. We responded to the challenge and, and ended up, by God's grace, getting better. You know, and that's the point. That's the point of your criticism. Yeah, and initially uh, it was harder. Yep. Uh, now I still get feedback, and it it may get hard from time to time. But uh, you guys are way far beyond where you were <laughs> ten years ago. Well, there you go, Jonathan. You see that? The thing is, we're way far. We're we're grayer than we were. That's what it is. I love criticism. I love it. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Good, <laughs> folks. You heard it here first. Isn't great wisdom? <laughs> yes, great wisdom. Right. Yeah, see. Yeah. See. There you go. And and listen, listen, folks. If there's something critical you want to say about what Jacob said, you know, feel free to let us know here at Christian Questions. <laughs> I welcome the feedback. <laughs> there you go, Jacob. Thanks. And you know, if you have any other comments as we go through, please, you know, feel free. But you know, folks, it's a practical example of someone who is in the profession of building others up by telling them what's wrong in an appropriate fashion. So we want to be able to manage criticism. A lot of times we take it personally when we shouldn't. So there are several points to manage criticism here. First, give the godliness in in you the space and ability to be heard. And that's going back to Viktor Frankl's quotes. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. And that space is our power to choose our response. In other words, in that space is where God and his spirit can communicate with you. Psalm 62, verses 5 to 8. My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from God. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, and shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Jonathan, in this scripture, what grabs me about this scripture, you know, by saying giving godliness in you the space and ability to be heard, is the way verse 5 starts. My soul, wait in silence for God only. In verse 6, he only is my rock and salvation. Put yourself in that position of being looking for his will first and foremost. If we wait for our heavenly stronghold 
to take hold, we can have the peace that comes with trust. Too often we we respond based on our reaction, and we don't give time to let godliness sink in and affect and change what we're responding to. So that's the first point. Give the godliness in your in you the space and ability to to be heard. What's the second point in terms of managing criticism? Well, Rick, it's consider the source. Imperfect earthly minds tend towards emotional, destructive criticism. And that's such an important point. And, and, and look, you know, I just going back to, to Jacob's previous example, Jacob's sole reason for doing what he does from a critical standpoint is not because it's going to get back at somebody, but it is to help us get better. Now, sometimes we get criticism that's for the opposite reason. It's for destructiveness. We need to realize that. We need to understand that. So what do we do with it? Because imperfect minds bring us down that direction. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 to 25, helps us to put that part into perspective. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with eternal service, external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. It's such an awesome scripture because the Apostle Paul is addressing slaves who are Christians. And he's saying, look, just because you're a Christian and you have freedom in Christ doesn't mean you're free in this world. You still have to listen to your, your master, and he may be a ruthless individual. And Paul is saying, you listen to him, and you don't do it just to the bare minimum with external service, but you do it with a different attitude. Go ahead. And you give him the highest level of respect. Yes. Yeah, even if he is not kind, even if it's somewhat abusive, he's saying still do that because that is unto God. Just like Stephen was willing to give up his life for the higher purpose, no matter who we are and what circumstance we're in, we should also have that same approach. Let's continue with Colossians 3. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. So again, you know, and you said it, do your work heartily as for the Lord, even if you're working for somebody else and they're not a nice person. Do your work well uh, to the best of your ability as unto God. By considering and accepting the source of any criticism that comes our way, we can therefore leave its judgment in the hands of God. And see, when we leave the judgment in the hands of God, he knows all, he sees all, he doesn't have to pause and think about his emotions. He knows what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And I say, amen to that. Let him handle the mess. Okay, so consider the source. Sometimes it's a good source, sometimes it is not. Third, in, re, in, in managing criticism, do a personal head and heart check to see where our thoughts and emotions are coming from. Let's get to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 to 26. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, and those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong. So 
uh, does this experience have an open door for selfless input? You know, when we're doing this head check and heart check, we've got to ask ourselves, is this an experience that has an open door for selfless input? You know, and, and, and Jonathan, Trish actually just handed me a note, and, she, and it says, talks, it asks us to talk about invited criticism and uninvited criticism. When do I have a right to criticize or to be critical? It's really important to understand that just because you don't like the way something is doesn't give you a right to criticize it. The best way to handle that is to actually go to the person without a critical attitude and ask questions. And maybe, here's a thought, you might learn something if you ask a question and you listen to the answer. So in the Second Timothy scripture, it says, get away from youthful lusts. And that's something we don't do a good job of these days. We like to hang on to our youthful lusts and make them, well, this is the way I see things. And what that does is that puts us in a place to criticize others and circumstances very easily because we become the God of our lives and it doesn't bring us any place good. Let's finish these verses because it gives us the mental attitude to hold on to when being criticized. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So when you have to respond with gentleness, correcting those in opposition, if perhaps God can touch their heart. So the correction is so that they can be open to God touching their heart. The correction is not so that I can say, you were wrong and I wanted to tell you were wrong, so I'm telling you wrong because I know I'm right and I know you're wrong. There's no selflessness in that. So we can respond to criticism with appropriate criticism if it's with gentleness and godliness in terms of building the other person up. Amazing things can happen when we don't return criticism for criticism, especially when it's on a negative sense. It's too easy to do that. So, Jonathan, in terms of that, criticism, negative, have you ever gotten any public Absolutely. And uh, recently, actually. And, and Jewel and I uh, really have been focusing uh, recently on ignorant speculations. And we're, we're actually focusing on if we create speculations in our minds about someone, th- they're not based in truth. So stop making up stories in your own mind that are taking away from purity and righteousness. And we can all do that at any time. But then on the other hand, when someone is coming after you in that way without any truths, you know, and they, they just don't want to hear anything and they just want to keep slamming you over and over with speculations that, that aren't founded in truth, it, it's debilitating. It, it hurts. It's harsh. It's hard. And in some cases, and, and in our case, Rick, from someone close to us, we find we can't even respond back. Because anything we respond back will not be heard. So, you know, and that's interesting because you know, one of the things we talked about earlier was, you know, if you're going to be able to respond, you have to be able to get their attention. And so you're saying you're in a situation where there's no way that that can even happen. Exactly. So sometimes the best way to manage it is to be quiet and to be godly. Amen. And, and 
as you were saying, don't build up, what did you call it? The, 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 the ignorant speculations. In your own mind. Exactly. So, and, 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 we, and we find ourselves doing it and say, wait, stop. We yeah, can't do yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and and that's, that's powerful because oftentimes we say, well, they're creating ignorant speculations about me. Well, wait, <laughs> now, isn't that an ignorant speculation about them, about what you think they're doing? Exactly. So we've exactly. got to be ultimately careful and be looking at ourselves. So when we are being criticized, sometimes we quietly accept it as a learning experience from God and move forward. What's the fourth step in terms of managing criticism with a, with a godly heart? Well, Rick, it's walk in Jesus' footsteps. Seek to measure up to the highest standard as best you can. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So what this is saying is that benevolent love that we so often talk about on this podcast rises above the fray and says, even if I am being criticized unjustly, it's okay because it's within the providence of God and I can manage it because God put it into my experience. I don't need to lash out. I know, don't need to create uh, you know, the, these, these conclusions in my own mind about them. I need to be quiet with godliness and love and, you know, sometimes we have to love our enemies. That's right. That's where we've got to get to. So, and that's what Jesus did. Walk in his footsteps. Our principle for positive criticism for this segment. Successful criticism management can only be achieved when we handle our emotions through spirituality, context, self-awareness, and the love that Jesus showed us. So this is the power of managing your own mind when dealing with criticism in your life. It's really important that we get these steps down and we rehearse them so we can make the best of our lives. Merely following the criticism management points makes us pause and really see our own reality, and this is good. Now that we know how to accept criticism, what steps are necessary to appropriately give it every episode we cover a lot of ground part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week rick and jonathan want to hear more comments and questions talk to us at christianquestions.com through all our social media channels and download our app by searching christian questions in your app store now since we have puzzle pieces everywhere let's put those pieces together Jesus handily answered this question with the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Of course, applying this clear-cut guideline is always easier said than done. But the biggest point to remember is that you want to be criticized only in a way that will help you grow. So if that's the way you would rather be criticized, then therefore only criticize someone else in a way that will help them to grow. That's the key. We need to put ourselves in the position of the recipient and put the criticism in order so we get it 
right. Appropriate, appropriate criticism, Jonathan. That's what we're going to be talking about in this segment. And again, Rick, the reminder, think why and how. Why is the criticism being delivered? How is it being delivered? Why are we criticizing or being criticized? And how are we being criticized or are we criticizing? Is it emotional? Is it personal? Is there anything in it at all about making the person better? That's the key to really good criticism. Only be critical when you can truly see where someone is coming from. So if you want to appropriately criticize, know why they stand where they stand. And Jonathan, most of us don't know the answer to that question. Where do they stand? Why do they stand there? We don't know. Romans 14, uh, chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 4. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So that's a great verse because it says, you know, there are those who are weak. And he's telling you, he said they're, they're weak. They can't stand up as high as others. He's, the apostle's saying, this is a fact. And if you want to be critical, like saying, well, why do you just do that? How come you can't do other things? He's saying, who are you to judge God's servant? Because he, God, will make them stand or fall, and he will make them stand. Because in our weakness, we are made strong. So if we can't see the why of someone's perspective, perhaps we should stop and find out what it is. And how do you do that? Do you surmise? You ask them a question. And then what do you do? You listen. You listen. Just take a quick soundbite from the PCA, Positive Coaching Alliance. And, you know, they're talking about in this, it's a rugby coaching. It's talking about, you know, dealing with things that do go well and things that might not go well. And this was a, a YouTube video. There is a difference between honest criticism and negativity. So let's listen. At some point, we're going to transition to um, what do we got to work on? Is how we say it. And, and then, you know, there'll be a lot, another list that'll, that'll form. Um, so sport is study. Can, you can look at things in detail and you can be honest. It doesn't have to be everything's okay and everything's, everything's super positive and there's no problems. It doesn't have to be personal. Uh, it, can be, it can be us um, that we're talking about in the collective. And, and sometimes even individuals say, this is something I need to do better. And I, I, I think that's... That's that's good, right? I mean, it's honest. It's, it's it's what happens if you care about something. I don't care whether it's the violin or or whether it's a, a sport. I mean, you're you're, you're going to invest yourself in, in in improvement, and we just want to value improvement. Yeah, and that's the key. Criticism is to value improvement, and and as we get into these the appropriate criticism, um, our first point is to only be critical when we have examined our own thoughts, feelings, and motivations first. Self-criticize. Yes. Okay, if you want to criticize, start with yourself. There you go. You know, and it's interesting because just this minute, Trish walked in with another note, and she's saying, okay, so if I'm supposed to criticize, I'm st- it's to stand for truth, so here's my hammer. You know, and, <laughs> and look, and sometimes we take that attitude. I've got the truth on the matter. I've got to use the hammer. No you don't. 
Because here's the flaw in that. That is not God's way for us to deal with one another. For Nathan the prophet dealing with David in that kind of an issue, sure. But for us, brother to brother, typically that is not where we need to go. And we know that by Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 to 5. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, you know, Jonathan, it may be a very hypocritical thing to do, to say, I'm standing for truth and here's the hammer. Because that verse is saying, great, go and do that. But realize that God will judge you with the same harshness that you judge others. Are you willing to be judged by God with that harshness? Because your heart is not to build them up. Because generally a hammer's purpose is to smash something into oblivion. You know, when you hammer a nail, you don't want to see it anymore. You want to have it so it's flush with the surface. We, as Christians, ought not to be wielding hammers against one another in our criticism. Only be critical when we've examined our own thoughts, feelings, and motivations first. Next, listen first, pause second, think third, and then... Answer, Proverbs 18, 12 and 13. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. So if we are going after another, and I want to keep this hammer illustration going, with the hammer of truth. And incidentally, I don't know that there's a scripture that talks about the truth like a hammer. Just saying, okay. Um, you know, we want to go at it. What Proverbs is saying is he who gives an answer before he hears, it's folly and it's shame. And what we're doing, Jonathan, when we're criticizing with such harshness is we're giving an answer without listening. We're coming down upon someone without having asked and genuinely listened to what they had to say. And then once you genuinely listen, the next thing you need to do is think about it. And then, you know what probably happens at that point? Your criticism takes a different tone. And instead of becoming a criticism, perhaps it becomes a conversation. Perhaps it becomes an acknowledgement and an understanding of something you didn't know before. Or another question comes to mind yes. based on what you just heard. Right. More information. Folks, that's how we're supposed to handle criticism. That's the attitude that we are supposed to have if we are to criticize. And just because someone else doesn't have that attitude does not give us a right to say, well, they didn't do it. I mean, what are we, six years old? You know, they didn't do it, so I'm not going to do it. We've got to rise above those things. What's the, the, the next, in terms of just wrapping this up now, what's next? Well, Rick, uh, four practical theme text us uh, Take, um, oh, wait, wait, I'm sorry, Jonathan. There was one other point first. I, I missed oh, it. Oh, I'm sorry. I, okay. No, no I, I, I pressed you to go beyond. Only criticize based on the clear word of God. I mean, you know, you don't want to miss that point. You know, that ends up being a really, really, really big, important thing. Our criticism should only be a reflection of the clear word of God. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, 
for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. It talks about Scripture, and it's prof. What is it? What do we use it for? Teaching, reproof, correction, training. All of those things together. You notice it doesn't say, and criticism is the greatest thing ever. It's just one of the things. Correction. It's all of those things are constructive. You know, you reprove someone not to make them feel bad, but you reprove someone to help change their direction, to lift them up. The initial response should be, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize I was doing that or, you know, I've sinned or whatever it is. But the ultimate response we want them to have is to say, I want to be more godly. So only criticize based on the clear word of God. So examine our own thoughts first. Be critical only when we can see where somebody else is coming from. Listen, pause, think, then answer, and only use the principles of the word of God that are clear. No stretching of scripture, no taking of something out of context. Let's be honest and, 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 and genuine with this. Our, our theme scripture was Hebrews 10.24. And Jonathan, you remember this scripture from way back in the early, early days of Christian Questions? Yes, I do. Wasn't this our very first pod, uh, first radio show? Yes, it was. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Yes, that's what we were, that's what, how we got started in the radio uh, opportunity almost 21 years ago with that particular scripture. So we're taking the, the, the context of that particular scripture and, you know, um, looking at our heart and mind in the, th- in the context is Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. So we look at our heart and our mind and in the beginning of these verses, it says, look, enter the holy place that you and I have been a- given access to by grace alone. And the key thing is we're given access to holiness only by God's grace. None of us, none of us deserve it. And Jonathan, that, that mere fact should curtail our desire to criticize immensely because we stand in a position of grace. Hebrews 10, uh, verse 19 to 21 to start with. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Okay, we have confidence to enter this holy place. How do we get there? It's God's grace through Jesus' sacrifice. That got us there. So when we're getting ready to criticize, let's think about that first. I'm in a position that I don't even deserve. Second point, cling to the cleansing and the new life given, leaving the old and broken fleshly thinking behind. Verses 22 and 23. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. Okay, he who is promised is faithful. In full assurance, with a sincere heart, cling to the cleansing, and you don't deserve it. Remember that. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. So when we're ready to criticize, let's just remember those things. So get your heart and mind entering that holy place by grace. Cling to the cleansing of the holiness we've been given. And third, look for ways to build up the brotherhood. And this uh, includes appropriate criticism or critique. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You know, 
stimulating one another to love and good deeds can come through positive, appropriate criticism. Appropriate criticism is a powerful, godly tool. We want to learn how to use that every day so that we are helping others only when it's appropriate and only when it's there to help them. And it's interesting that if we look at these verses in the context of criticism and we're doing these things, you know, so you look for ways to build up the brotherhood, the fourth point would be stay together. Verse 25. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So when we are in a position to appropriately criticize, let's remember Hebrews 10.25, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And I think for me what that's telling me is if I'm going to be criticizing, we should still be together after it's done. So my criticism should not be making you feel bad so, or, or, or creating this rift. It should be to draw us closer together. And folks, that's hard to do. That's hard to do. But if we apply the godly principles that we've talked about, it is possible and it is profitable. What's our final principle of positive criticism? Appropriate criticism is a tool of growth. Master giving and build others up. Master receiving it and become a sound and mature Christian. Remember the point. It's a tool of growth. And if you are criticizing for any other reason, forget about it. If you're a Christian, it doesn't belong. We want to be using it as a positive tool. You want to master the art of giving and building others up through criticism. Now, it's not to say that, hey, Jonathan Rick said I should look for all the opportunities to criticize everywhere so I can build others up. That's not the point. no. No, the point is when it's appropriate... Do it for only the right reasons and take yourself out of it. Master receiving criticism and become a sound and mature Christian. That's really what this whole thing is all about. Folks, look, criticism is part of daily life. Criticism happens all the time. The question is, are you and am I going to engage with everybody else in the same way as everybody else in this popular daily activity Or are you and I as Christians going to say, wait a minute, the only time I criticize is for the good of the other because I love them so much and I will do it selflessly, not to even the score, but to give them the ability to see God's grace more clearly and more fully in their daily lives. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, criticism is a wonderful tool. Use it in a godly way. Think about it. Folks, listen, we do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us, review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about, and you're going to love this, we'll be talking about, does the Bible contradict itself Part 1. Does the Bible contradict itself? Talk to you then.